Now, Walter, tell us who made that famous. Squire Parsons. Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn with me to... Go ahead and go to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to revisit there in just a moment. But I have several things I want to, to share with you before we get to Genesis chapters. Three passages. Man, I shouldn't have done that. Um, there's three passages I really have a, a hope to get to this morning as we uh, talk about Father's Day. I'll tell you what's interesting... You discover, you know, when you study the Bible, that's why you study God's Word daily when you study, or I study to preach, etc. You find things out, or you discover things, or you apply things you've never even thought about. And here's one that I discovered, or we know this, but you've never put the two together. For instance, the Bible tells us not to flee from the devil. The Bible tells us to resist the devil firm in the faith. Okay. Now think about that. That's 1 Peter 5. Resist the devil firm in the faith and he will flee from you. That's what it says. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Okay. But in 2 Timothy 2, Paul tells men to flee youthful lusts. Isn't that interesting? So with the devil, the Bible says that we stand firm and resist him in the faith. But when it for men, but when it comes for the lust of the flesh, or as Paul tells Timothy, the lust of the sinful flesh or youthful passions, he says, "Flee, run from, stay away from it." Um, let me give you an example of that. And um, by the way, I want the parents to know Rick and Lindsay and Michael and Susie. The size of our crowd is in no way symbolic of how important this day is to you and to me and to this church. We just never know what our summer crowds are going to be like. Uh, I'm, I'm going to find Genesis 2. I know it's here somewhere. I know it's right here in the Bible somewhere. Um, I, had to, I forgot my phone and needed something to watch the time. Uh, it really doesn't mean anything, but I have it just in case I want to use it. Uh, we need men. Yeah, I think about stolen identity or these movies that show people getting their identity stolen. And I think about biblical manhood has been stolen from the church. Um, we're living in a culture that loves handheld devices and skinny jeans. Uh, <laughs> that ain't going to happen here, okay? Uh, there's no, in general, and I, I'm, not, I'm not attacking you, I'm just saying in general, when you look at Christianity, the evangelical church in general, uh, fatherhood, biblical Male leadership in the home is a lost art. Uh, somebody has stolen that out of the church. Right now, if, if, if there's a married couple going to a local church, but only one of them go, guess who it is? Five to one. 
It would be a, the woman, not the man. 75% of, of all criminals that are serving time come from homes without a father. So those are the, those are the simple consequences of, of, of not having the presence of a father. But I want to take it further than that. I, that's one thing, fathers. But I'm talking about what the Bible says about male headship and, and biblical fathers. And we're celebrating Father's Day. But what does it look like? Um, what does it look like when a man leads his home for the cause of Christ? What does that look like? And there are examples all throughout the Bible. Of course, there's, there's very poor examples. But even the good examples, you realize, are great men, but they're, they're, they're frail. I think about King David. Great example of, you know pursuing the heart of God, but at the same time, he was an adulterer and really was, had his hand in murder. So they're not perfect, but there are examples in the Scriptures about what men are supposed to be. But I don't think you can get away from starting at the very beginning. When, If we believe that God designed the family and God designed a man and God designed a woman, where better to start than back in Genesis chapter 2 where we're dealing with Adam. So with your Bibles open to Genesis chapter 2, I just want to read a, a couple of verses and I'm going to make a few points here and then I want to travel to two other passages of Scripture um, and I'm going to be brief in all of these but I want you to hang in there with me as we talk about, we talk about the family. I'm in, I'm in Genesis chapter 2 and I'm going to begin at verse 15. Genesis chapter 2. I was reading uh, the other day, it said that, of course, now Lifeway, we used to have Lifeway stores. Everybody ever shop at a Lifeway, right? Uh, Lifeway plaque and gift. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was ugly, wasn't it, Walter? I'm sorry. It's called a bookstore, but for a preacher, it wasn't much of a bookstore. But uh, So we used to call it Lifeway plaque and gift. That's a sm- I'm being a smart aleck, I'm sorry. But um, do you know that Almost 80% of every spiritual book that's bought is bought by a female and read by a female. Think about that, 80%. But yet, when you read the Bible, that's not the one that's supposed to be leading spiritually, is it? Is it? No, it's not. Now, when we read this, what I'm reading to you is not after the fall. This is before the fall. Okay? So people want to say that a lot of things are the way they are because of the fall. No. What I'm reading to you is before the sin of Adam. Even though Eve did it, the Bible says we sinned in Adam. So it says the Lord God, and there's three things I'm going to just tell you about. You know, and if we if we did a survey, well, okay, uh, if we did a survey and said, and I'm not saying, I'm talking about just worldly. I'm not asking you to think spiritually. But if you were to survey 75 people out there, and you were to say, what, what should ladies, girls, look for in a husband? And you might say, well, um, how about uh, 
his, you would want to say, we, just for me to remind, remember, is billfold. You, you, would want to, you would want to know that he could um, support. Matter of fact, a, a lot of us dads, you know, when, when we talk to potential suitors of our daughters, one of the things you ask, and I have asked this, am I going to have to pay her bills the rest of my life? Are you going to be a man? Or are you going to provide for her needs? Seriously. Guys, those of you who have been where I have, you've had to ask that question, right? That's the, one of the reasons they get married is they're going to take care of her. Um, in the Old Testament, when, uh, <laughs> when the Bible says that the father gives her hand in marriage, that's exactly what it says. That's why when we do a wedding, I talk about that. She, he gives her hand in marriage. Why, why does it say that? Well, because he's transferring responsibility to the husband, right? Right? right. So everything that dad had done and was doing for his daughter, he now expects the husband to do those things. At least that, and probably expectations are a lot more. That's biblical. So when we think, we use the P's, you know, priest, a prophet, a priest, a provider, and a protector. Those are good P's to remember of what a father does in his home. Um, he's the spiritual leader. He's the protector. He's the provider. He is those things. There's three things that, uh, but if you were to do that survey, you know, they, they, people talk about money, right? Probably talk about family. You know, does he have a, a good family? You know, uh, talk about is he? Maybe you want to talk about what a great athlete he was, or how you know what a reputation he had for being this, that, and the other. That's what people would want. Somebody met one of my. Well, matter of fact, somebody I can't tell you who it was met my youth pastor. He's been here a couple times over the last twenty-three years. When I was in the youth department, when I, you know, that was a few years ago. And this was when I was in Weaver, Weaver, Alabama. And my youth pastor lives in Elmore County now. And so somebody in our church met him at the hospital. Long story. And uh, now this is from my youth pastor's own words. Two things he said about me. He used to be a great athlete. That's what he told him. He used to be a great athlete. But then he said, he dramatically got saved when he was 16. That's what was important to me. Because I was, and you were, this stuff matters to me. And I will tell you up front, I was pathetic. I was a pathetic father. When you compare it to what? Sorry. I better get to the text or I'll cry like a baby. It says, the Lord God... The Lord God took the man and He put him in the Garden of Eden. Here's the first requirement for biblical manhood. To work. 
curse. Now, this isn't after the curse. This is before the curse. Now, work gets harder. We know that from reading Genesis 2 and 3. But in God's mandate before in creation, before the curse, before sin, God mandated that every man works. Works. And, of course, here he's working the garden that God's going to put him in. But he says... He says he, he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So it, the first thing about a biblical man is a man, a real biblical man, wants to work. Or the opposite of that, you would say a biblical man is not lazy. And when I mean work, I, I am talking about a job. I am grateful for men who go to work and earn a living. It is talking about that. But it's talking also about husband, husbandry. Just working in the home to make sure things are healthy. You work. You're not lazy. You're not passive. You're a hard worker. And you know this is true because the New Testament attacks this in two different ways, right? Uh, well, I'll tell you what, one you know, you know, uh, if one doesn't provide, this is in uh, 1 Timothy, it says if a man doesn't provide for his own family, well, if he doesn't work and meet the needs of his family, it says, 1 Timothy 5, 8, he's worse than an unbeliever. You hear that? First Timothy, because unbelievers, even lost people, every you meet men that are not saved, but they work, right? Some of them are workaholics, and I mean they can work 60 hours a week, come home. They're workers. That's by design. That's, that's just reminding you that they're made in the image of God. God worked how many days? Six, and He rested on the seventh. God was a working God. And the Bible says Christ worked. He did work. Ministry was work. Men are to work, but they're just not to work at their job, they're to work at their home. And if you don't work and make provision, matter of fact, if Paul goes in, what he's talking about there in 1 Timothy was if the church ends up having to take care of somebody that a, that a relative or a dad should be making a living. You know, if benevolence is falling on the local church when, when the dad's not working, he, 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 what he says, it, when he means when he says it's, you're worse than an infidel, what he's referring to is lost people know how to work and provide for their family. That's what's the argument he's making. Pagans are working and providing for their families. The majority of pagans work and provide for their families. But that's a lost art. I, I can't tell you in my... And I, I'm not an old codger, but I have been around a while. How many situations I've run into where there are men living at home that quit working years ago and are mooching off this parents and are intimidating the parents... So they don't have to go to work and they just hang around the house and are slobs. You know people like that. They don't respond to the biblical command to work. But not only, I said, go to 2nd, I'm sorry, I said 1st Timothy. Go to 2nd Thessalonians. Here's another passage. 2nd Thessalonians, the T's are together. So if he, if he doesn't provide for his own, he's worse than an infidel. But here's one you probably know right off the top of your head. You just didn't know where it was. 2 Thessalonians, 
chapter. I'm having the hardest time finding Bible verses. Second Thessalonians chapter three. So, so if we're thinking about biblical manhood or our godly father, number one, they work. Okay, but look at verse. Uh, let's pick up at verse. Um, Look at verse uh, 7. For you, uh, 2 Thessalonians 3, 7. For you yourselves know how you ought uh, to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. Now let me just say this. Paul could have, when he went to Thessalonica, now this is, you know, this is when he goes to Macedonia, Thessalonica. So when they went to the, her, respond to the Macedonian call, they go to, uh, to Philippi, then to, then to Thessalonica. And what Paul's saying is when we came there, you can read all through the New Testament, and if they were apostles and they were delivering the Word of God, they had every right to expect the churches to take care of their needs. But for whatever the reason, whether there had been naysayers to come behind Paul and question his financial integrity, or whether he sensed a spirit in the church, they decided to pay their own way while they're preaching the gospel. You with me? So they were bivocational while they were there. A lot of places Paul went, all they did was preach and teach because the church took care of their, their material needs. But here, look what he's saying. That's what he's getting into, that... Know that how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we did not have that right, but to give you, but, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you the command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. So here's something, if a man is not willing to work, he should not eat. That'll change. You know, not being able to come to the dinner table would change people's attitude about working, would it not? The whole point is, a man of God is working, or labor. He's willing to labor for the kingdom and for his family. So a biblical father is one who, who labors. Um, I just make a side note here. Things have changed with this because we're not open all the time in the office now, where we used to be here, you know, 40 and 50 hours a week, but... When you deal with benevolence, I'm going to say this quickly. When you have benevolent needs, people come in off the street. <laughs> I always send them to Dale or Deacons. You know, I pass that buck to whoever I can. Because it's not fun to deal with. It's really not. Because you're having to judge people, right? And uh, even in church life, I don't want to know. I, people been, I don't want to know. But people come in off the street. Number one, usually it's not the man. Who is it? They send the wife or somebody in. But to tell me their, their desperate needs. But the point would be, is some, it's God's money, and, and we in the history of the church have been 
great in benevolence. People would send us people to help. But the, the point would be sometimes helping people, you're not helping them because you're violating this text. Because if they're not willing to work, they shouldn't be on the benevolence role, so to speak. And that would be true for unbelievers, but also for a believer. If, if, they're not, if they're able to work. You know what I'm saying. So you have to be, this is God's money. And so work and labor, we might say, labor is a big issue when it comes to God's design for men. Now let's, let's keep reading. So not only is it the, the labor of the man that's a biblical issue. But verse 9, I'm back in Genesis 2. The Lord God took the man in garden, ten, and the Lord God commanded the man saying. So not only was labor an issue for the man, the man of God, a biblical father, okay? But now it's the law, listening to the law of God. This is right off the bat. So now God gives a command. He gives mandates. This is before the fall. Sin hadn't entered the world. But He's giving mandates for the man to obey. By the way, not only did He give mandates that, of law, so, so, so the man of God, Adam, number one, was to labor. Number two was to listen to God's law. So a man of God today would want to labor and he'd want to listen to God's law. And there's something else about this law we know. He had to tell Eve this information. God didn't speak to Eve about this word. Adam had that responsibility to pass the word along. Is that not how it's supposed to happen in the family today? The, the husband is to be, it's what it says, the primary spiritual leader. Now I'll be honest with you, Diane is smarter than me. She's more articulate than me. So, and when it comes to teaching children, I cannot hold a light to anything she does. So if we're teaching children, I might, I might take the position of a leader, but guess who's going to pass the buck and get the buck passed to them? I'm handing it to her. That doesn't make it wrong. That just makes me smart. It doesn't mean she can't. But the man is to be the one that, that wants the Word of God or wants to listen and teach God's Word. We've got to be hurry, but so it's just thinking about general principles. It's about labor, it's about the law. Now let's keep reading. And it says, so he says, he commanded the man, saying, You you shall surely not eat of every tree, you shall surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. By the way, Eve either misquotes that or the devil told her something that wasn't true. She says, or touch it, remember? He says, we can't eat it nor touch it. It never says touch it. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. So what does he do? He, he asked Adam to name all the animals. Now what is that? Now just three, I'm giving you three uh, L's. Labor, law, and and the third one, we might say, is leadership. God asked Adam to name the animals. this is amazing to me, and I'm not going to get into all that, but he named, he named all the animals, and based on their character, their design, how they looked, whatever it would be, even though a bunch of them would be four-footed, whatever, he knew what to name them, and he named them. And it says what he named them, it was so. God allowed Adam to take the leadership of this part of creation. So what are three basic spiritual rules, laws, thoughts for biblical manhood? It would be that they labor, 
They love God's law and they're willing to lead. That's what a biblical man does. Now, we're out of time, but I want to take you somewhere and show you something. Go to Colossians. Go to the last book, last chapter of Colossians 4. And I know I'm out of time, and it's been a great morning. Anytime you dedicate children and have moms and dads come up, and um, it, it is fantastic. Children are a gift from the Lord. Amen? They really are. They're fantastic. Uh, Colossians, I want you to go to Colossians uh, chapter 4. And I don't have time to, to, to give you all this, but... Uh, Um, I just want you to notice, now Paul does this several times. He does it in 2 Timothy. He does it some in, in 1 Corinthians. But he names all these believers and what they're doing, okay? And all these that he names, I think here in Colossians 4, beginning around verse 7, I think, is men. He mentions these men. And what you find is these men appear in several books of the Bible. Again, I, I don't have time to tell you all the history of every man. But do you know why they appear here? Because they were laboring. They loved God's law and they were leading. That's why they're here. In the ministry that God had placed them in, or Paul was led to place them in, these men served the Lord Jesus. And so Paul mentions a bunch of their names. And would I find your name here? Now we're not writing scripture, but we are creating church history. Men, where would I find your name? Who's the servant that met the needs of this situation? Who's the leader that taught and discipled? Who who will listen? Men did it then, and men are to do it now. Where, would you, where are you? Where, let's write a book about the men of this church. Where would you fall? Look what he says. First, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. Listen, beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant. And that's a great witness. By the way, Tychicus also appears. He appears again in the book of Titus and uh, doing the same thing. Okay. Uh, look at, look, I think verse, uh, I'm, I got a small print Bible, so I'm having a hard time. I think verse 10, where it says, Aristarchus, you see him? Okay. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the, you know who which Mark this is? Which Mark is this? That's Mark the Gospel. And remember, they had, they had had a breakup. They, they had messed up. Him and Barnabas had a little dispute over Mark because John Mark got homesick. And so, but now Paul wants, he says, And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom. What I'm saying is, when I'm in, this is Paul's in prison here, first imprisonment. He's saying these are the only two Jews that would even visit me when I was in prison the first time of, of my brothers talking about the Jews. Um, Epaphras, look at the Epaphras, is that verse 12? 
Who is one of you? That means he's from Colossae. Okay? So, and there's three cities that are close together. Laodicea, uh, Colossae, and some other town I forgot. But Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. So Epaphras was a prayer warrior. Uh, we see him again, as a matter of fact. For I, for I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those... In, oh, here's the other city. Those worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. It's interesting because one city had cold water, therapeutic cold waters, and one had warm. It's a long story. We'll move on. Luke, you with me? Verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you. And we'll finish here. As does Demas. Of course, Luke, you know, we read the book of Acts. We'll finish. I know I'm way over. I, I hope that you're roasted and burning in the oven. But um, Luke traveled with Paul quite a bit. You know that when you read the book of Acts, the we passages. Uh, Luke penned the book of Acts. And so when he says we, when he was with Paul, he was traveling with Paul. But it's great that Paul had a physician that traveled with him. I think that's God's provisions. You think about that, especially in those days. But look at your Bibles, and I'll finish. I, I know I'm over. But here's the reality. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Okay? Before I read it, can anybody remember anything about Demas? That's it. That's it. 2 Timothy 4. This is what Paul says about Demas. Demas. This is the last thing ever spoken about Demas. Now folks, listen. Christ is recording everything we do. He knows everything. Paul recorded this about Demas. It doesn't mean Demas is not saved. But can you imagine having your name written in Scripture from the man who's about to be executed for the faith? And this is what he says about you. But what would Christ say about you today? That's what matters. What would He say? It says in chapter 4, verse 10, And Demas, having loved this present world, has forsaken me. I'm going to tell you something. There's a lot of men that have forsaken the church and have forsaken Christ. And I'll tell you why. They love the world and they love themselves. They're not willing to sacrifice. They're not willing to pay the price of biblical manhood. Are you? I pray you are. Let's stand together for prayer. <laughs> On that note, happy Father's Day. God is good, isn't He? Hey, it's the truth. It's truth. It's hard truth. I hope you have a great afternoon. I'm going to let my family spoil me. We're getting a takeout order from Mr. Chin's. Everybody eat at Mr. Chin's? We're getting, I can't handle going out to eat physically, so they're getting Mr. Chin's. You've never eaten at Mr. Chin's. Tell Walter tell you about it. 
and then I'm going to take me a big long nap. Right? When you get to be 61, that happens on Sunday afternoons. But you can call me if you want to. I just won't answer the phone. God's good. Don't you love the church? I can tell you these things because you're my family. Let's pray. I still think about Rhonda this morning, Lord, and I know she watched. She never misses. And God, I pray that your grace and mercy will be upon her. God, she's going to be a great witness. I'm going to have a lot of witness and opportunities because of the life of, of John Givens. And, and Lord, as a church, uh, thank you. In this room right now, there are several people that have built a relationship with Rhonda that's just like family. And God, I pray that they'll meet her needs and know things that we can do to help minister to that sweet lady. So God, may your grace and mercy be upon her. But Lord, thank you for the church. And and God, it's been tough about men. It's tough. We live in a fallen world and we are running a race. And God, sometimes we fall, we stumble, we drop the baton. It's a mess, God. But we, we, me, we, I want to be faithful. I want to run the race with endurance, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. And Lord, I pray that these men, if, if they want to look at somebody, God, help them to imitate me and follow me as I follow Christ. Father, something's being written. There's books in heaven being written. And God, what are you writing in that book about our service? May we be serious about being stewards of your kingdom here and now. We love you. And thank you for church life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all so much.